Hi, and welcome to Season 5 of Business Book Talk. Hope you're going to enjoy this new season. I'm really excited about it. I'm sure you will really enjoy some of the books that we have planned. So let's get on with the show. Hi, everybody. It's Bob again. I've got Wind in Your Sales, Vital Strategies that Accelerate Your Entrepreneurial Growth. And I've got David Greer with me today. David, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, Bob. It's great to be here. You know, I've known you for a long time, and it, I'm so happy that you've written a book because you're you're one of those guys you chat with, and you, you do amazing stuff. You help companies do amazing things, and it's like, God, if only I could read how he does it. And man, you come up with this book, and it's amazing. Thank you very much. Uh, it was a chance to distill my 35 years of being an entrepreneur into uh, something I hope will help a lot of other entrepreneurs. So do you think you're more of a growth entrepreneur? Because I know you focus in on, on the high tech and helping companies build, uh, do better with what they've got. Is is that more your flair? Uh, no, I don't think uh, the super high growth is necessarily uh, where I am best. I think uh, my focus is on entrepreneurs who have started and own their own business, have got to a million in revenue, have 20 to 200 employees, and come to a realization that what got them to where they are uh, won't get them to where they want to go. Helping them evolve. Yes. And that's why this book is a strategy book, which to me, strategy is about how you think about your business. Um, There are a lot of practical, tactical things you can take away from the book too. But some of my biggest um, changes and where I really managed to accelerate businesses was by uh, bringing in people who taught me new ways of thinking about the business. Mm. Now, you know, why did you think now is a good time to have a book like this come out in the market? When I looked around on Amazon and in other sources and bookstores, I was quite surprised that uh, I could not find a strategy book focused on entrepreneurs especially of operating businesses. There are many strategy books for startups. Uh, One I recommend a lot is um, Guy Kawasaki's uh, Art of the Start. Uh, But again, it's it's focused for teams who are just starting fresh with a new business. And there's books on leadership and there's books targeted, you know, at people that work in the Fortune 500 uh, and how to grow within, you know, those organizations But I really uh, was challenged to find any book which was solely focused on strategy for entrepreneurs of working businesses. Hmm. Now, you know, Vancouver is a bit of a hotbed of of startups these days, but it seems to me that is the new model for business, that it's it's all startup driven. Do you think that's... true or or do you think it's we've just refocused on it because um, so many people seem to be doing well on the startup side? I think that Vancouver has a hugely entrepreneurial spirit and community and so that's reflected in you know the number of startups that we see you know I think in Vancouver people are just you know they're willing to create a startup at the drop of a hat Mm. and the truth is that if you have an existing business and you want to grow it in new directions, uh, you got to do a lot of the things that a startup would do anyways. Mm. And I cover some of that in, in, uh, in the book. You know, people think, oh, I'll sign on a new product line or I'll bring on a new partner and there's a little bit of incremental revenue. And 
they're often uh, less than successful with that because you know while it's true they have all the systems in place and everything to uh, help them succeed that many startups don't have, uh, they completely underestimate um, how much distraction it will take from their existing business, um, you know, what it will take to invoice and collect and do all the practical aspects. I mean, you, you really need a mini business plan. And, you know, I've looked at over 400 business plans in my career. And, uh, you know, there aren't, they aren't that complicated, but you have to do the work to figure them out. And I oftentimes find that in existing businesses, uh, people don't take that time to figure out uh, what something new would really look like. And the truth is, to survive in today's market, whether you're a startup or an existing 20-year-old business, you you have to start and initiate new things. Hmm. Well, you know, it, it, now that you've mentioned uh, business plans, I, I find it very ironic that, you know, I'll chat with some businesses and I'll say, oh, so let's uh, drag out the business plan, take a look at it. And they say, oh, geez, we don't even know where it is. And they've made a business plan five years ago or eight years ago or six months a year, uh, ago. And that, oh, we've done that, tick that off the box, and then they put it away. They don't understand that it's a live document that should be revisited again and again. Yes. Uh, the most successful entrepreneurs I know have a three-year rolling plan. And uh, in the book, uh, Wind in Your Sales, I talk about um, rhythm around the planning cycle and that, you know, a lot of businesses who operate on a calendar year are now in January uh, doing their plans for 2015. Uh, but those only work if you, you know, pick only four or five things to do this quarter and then you, you know, you're reporting back on your progress on them weekly and you've already put in the calendar when you're going to do your next quarterly planning session. Uh, and you constantly involve a move, measure, you know, uh, as my friend Kevin Lawrence says, everything is an experiment. Uh, you can't do experiments if you don't measure. And, you know, you have a hypothesis, you test it, you measure it, and then you learn from it and move ahead. Hmm. Um, you, you mentioned three-year cycles. Is that fundamental to a uh, your your approach to strategy is like – not a one-year strategy, but like, hey, guys, we've got to look at three years here before we're going to get any momentum. Certainly for me, the mo one of the most transformational thoughts that I got taught uh, and had a big impact on me was to stop kind of quarter by quarter, you know, let's do this year what we did last year kind of planning and instead say, you know, where do we need to be in three years? Where's the market going to be? Where's our competitors going to be? Mm. And looking out that three years distance and writing it down. Now, of course, no plan survives three years. It'd be completely changed by the time you get there. However, the process of looking out that far and then working backwards. So three years, we want to be here. So at the end of this year, this is where we need to be. In this quarter, this is how far we need to get. Hmm. It's also my belief that it's as humans, we grossly overestimate what we can do in a week or a month or a quarter. And we widely underestimate how much we can do in three years if we stay focused on a vision of, of where we're trying to get to and if we can get everybody looking in that same direction. Hmm. Well, you know, it does remind me of, of I was uh, brought up to school of uh, have a five-year plan and work backwards and then realize that you've got lots of stuff to do next week. Yeah, that is the reality. Um, the other thing that I focus on when I facilitate strategic planning is that uh, I don't let teams 
never more than five you know goals for the quarter oh, five really? measurable goals for the quarter and if people are new to this, I try and dial that back to three, which most teams find really, really tough to do. Um, and, you know, those are like typically three initiatives that are in addition to or, or different from your kind of day-to-day -day business. Mm. And you need to have those because those are the strategic elements that have to get done in order to move the business to the next level. Otherwise, you're just back into firefighting. Uh, you know, it's Monday morning when you and I happen to be talking, and I bet a lot of people have just spent the morning fighting through emails and fires and uh, have not pulled out their strategic plan and looked at what they need to do this week to make sure that they move ahead on the key initiatives uh, for the quarter. You know, that's so true. It's uh, you, 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 you cringe. For Monday morning, when you hit the uh, check mail button, to realize like how many crises do I have that I have to deal with? Me, luckily, I, I'm a, a workaholic and I work uh, 24/7, uh, and because of that, I'm constantly checking my email. And I, you know, I've got clients all over the world. And this one, she's in Singapore, and last night at 12:30 a.m., I checked my email, and she just said, "Oh, Bob, there's. Uh, can you just do this and that?" If I hadn't got that email. And responded to it and said, yeah, yeah, no problem. I would have lost 24 hours. And you can't waste 24 hours on something simple. I'm really glad it works out for you and for your clients. Um, I would encourage you to, and I, I know you, Bob, okay. that you make a strategic choice in this. For example, you know, people that I work with and in teams that I've built, uh, I have an agreement that uh, no email out of regular business hours. Mm. And if it's urgent and important, you call my cell phone or you text my cell phone. And that helps put some boundaries around it. And I think those boundaries are important. In fact, I talk about it in the book uh, that you have to define a culture and an expectation, especially around email. And, you know, you have clients around the world and you arrange your schedule and are prepared to do what you did last night, which was to take a very late for you in your time zone uh, email message and to do something about it. Uh, and that won't work for everyone. And my uh, advice to people is to decide consciously on what those rules are and then make sure that as a team you hold each other accountable to those. One of the things that's different between an entrepreneur and a staff member or an employee is they're not on fire. Like an entrepreneur, they have a hard time switching off. And a lot of times Monday morning, an employee has a hard time switching back on. Um, and I think that's a fundamental psychological headspace difference. Is there a way that you can get employees more enthused uh, about your business by having them involved in the strategy? Yes, I believe that, uh, well, for, for senior management, I think have to do the strategy planning as a team. Mm. And then I think the individual departments and the VPs uh, need to plan with their teams on a strategic basis. Uh, when I was VP of marketing for WebTech Wireless, I took uh, my entire team off-site every quarter. And we looked at what the goals were uh, strategically for the company. And then we laid out a, a plan uh, that aligned with that for the quarter. Uh, understanding, too, that we had set uh, yearly goals that I committed to management to complete. And so we made sure that we weren't losing sight of those bigger picture goals in what we needed to, the key initiatives that we needed to achieve for the quarter. So 
to me, that's a key piece of um, planning involvement uh, and teamwork. And when you get everybody into a room and you facilitate a strategic plan openly and you have a lot of discussion and dissent, uh, I was, I'm always careful not to just say, you know, to make my case for why something needs to be done and then discuss it sometimes very strongly and make sure that we all leave the room with agreement as to what will get done. And then I think everybody uh, has to own it. Mm. Well, I think that's a critical point. A lot of times when I'm trying to get a, a committee of people or a group of people or a C-suite set to agree to something, there's always going to be some person that isn't very happy about the direction. And um, I have everybody affirmed that, that yeah, I, I get it. I'm not 100% cool with this idea, but I'm going to put 100% of my energy uh, behind it and support the, the the team, and then the next person says, "I'm really excited about this," and yeah, absolutely, I'm going to give 100 percent of my my energy. But at least it gives them an opportunity to, on the record, say, "Yeah, okay, I get this, but it's for me. I don't get it, but I'll support it." Yeah, I agree, and I've been in those situations where I didn't agree, uh, and I will say it's personally very challenging when you know you're not internally totally aligned with it and. You just need to fight through that and, you know, you make your case in those planning sessions. And if, as a group, another decision is made, then you have to buy in completely and be 100% committed. Yeah. I mean, it's it's your – at the end of the day, you're, you can't be an individual in a team. It, it, and, and I know this is so fundamental. Is it? Yeah, 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 Bob. But really, what you said as a – is uh, psychologically it can be devastating because you're going in there every day and you don't believe in what's going on and you're struggling to motivate yourself how can a person that's in that type of situation deal with it should they go talk to people that are super enthused about it and say look I'm really struggling with this how can I get over this I think you do have to go up to whoever you're reporting to mm. and be honest you know, this is where I'm stuck. Uh, I'm really still having trouble, you know, emotionally getting here uh, and talk through it. Mm. And again, if if in the book I talk about things like weekly rhythm, like weekly meetings, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that dissent should still be coming out in weekly meetings, not not to revisit it, but rather just to point out perhaps practical things or things that are working or not. Um and then again, at the end of the weekly meetings, you still have to buy into what the next week's um, tasks and goals are and fully commit to it. And there is no easy answer. And sometimes, you know, for big change, uh, the truth is you may have to move on to another organization or something else uh, where it just is so misaligned with what you believe in. Um, but, you know, there's kind of beliefs and culture versus the idea. Mm -hmm. The other thing I want to add is uh, I'm really careful in working with teams and when I'm facilitating that you argue about the idea, not about the person. Mm -hmm. The person's mm -hmm. not bad. It's not a bad idea. It's, you know, this aspect I'm really having trouble understanding or this aspect I'm really, you know, my personal experience is it's not going to work. Again, it's not about the person, which is where I think a lot of times things go sideways, is that the person is attacked rather than the concept or idea that's on the table.
So you know, you you've uh, you've got all this experience, obviously, and uh, you're putting the book together. What for you was the aha moment where something totally crystallized for you? That's an excellent question. I don't know if I had the aha moment because you know I've been writing parts of this book uh, for the last two or three years in my blog. Mm. So I started with over 100, 120 blog posts, and I went back and reviewed all of those. And then I also looked at uh, my recent work from the last few years. And for this book, I interviewed over 44 um, CEOs, entrepreneurs, uh, and sales leaders Mm -hmm. about some of their biggest marketing and sales challenges uh, and business challenges. And so there wasn't like that single defining moment. It was the accumulation of all of this work together. Hmm. And, you know, some of the repeated stories, some of, you know, the fundamental changes that have happened in how we market and sell. And, you know, pulling all of that together into 10 chapters that made sense. So I could break it down into bite-sized pieces. You know, my goal for this book is my brand promise. So I'm big on a a measurable brand promise for Mm -hmm. any organization. So my brand promise to my readers is if you spend one hour with my book, you will have a minimum of three ideas that will accelerate your business in the next 90 days. What happens if I don't get that? Can I give you a call? and (laughs) Hey, give me a call. I'll give you your money back. (laughs) You know, talking about the theories and stuff like that, what you might find is there seems to be a pattern from people fundamentally not getting something and saying, oh, okay, well, you just didn't quite get it, so here's a great blog post that helps you understand it. Absolutely. And as I continue to learn and I continue to expand my knowledge, I'm sure that I'll continue blogging and uh, continue sharing that information because that's just uh, how I give back to my entrepreneurial uh, community. And that's, you know, I, I am selling the book, but in the end, I'm really um, giving back in a way that I've been given to by many authors, by many uh, coaches, uh, people who advise me, uh, who've all given their time or I've paid for their time, but they've really shared their expertise uh, to help me to be successful. And it's now my turn to, to do it. Well, you know, that brings up a very, very salient point that, you know, if uh, you're an entrepreneur out there, having a coach or a mentor is critical to your ability to move forward. I personally have had a coach for the last seven and a half years, and it has been transformational Mm. to have that um, regular influence in my life. Uh, We generally have a meeting every two weeks. And it is amazing the momentum that we create together. And as an entrepreneur, it can feel very lonely. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it can be very alone at times because it feels like you're making you know, a lot of decisions on your own. And having an experienced coach that can give you, sometimes just reflect back what it is that you're saying and then suddenly you go away. That's pretty silly. (laughs) And sometimes they need to just tell you that it's silly and why. Um, But building that trust relationship uh, is critical. You know, building that relationship with someone that that you believe in and who believes in you um, is just uh, can create phenomenal change. And in addition, having a coach or a mentor that you really believe in and believes in you uh, leaves you feeling that you always have your back covered. 
Now, um, you know, I know you love sailing, so obviously that's why it's wind in your sails uh, as a metaphor. For you, is it the strategy that puts the wind in the sails or is it the implementation? It's both. You have to have a plan and you have to execute on the plan. So is the problem the plan or how you execute it on the plan? And that that's part of what I talk about in the book. That's part of why I really believe you have to do your quarterly planning sessions. Mm. So at the end of a quarter, you have to say, you know, three months ago, we said we were going to do A, B, and C. And we're going to report back to each other about, you know, our progress on A, B, and C. And here we've come to the end of the quarter and here's where we're at. You know, and my measure of success is 80% minimum. So you have to achieve at least 80% of what you said for A, B, and C. Mm. And if you didn't get there, then, you know, uh, serious questions have to be asked. Like, did you lose focus? Uh, you know, I, did you, was it impossible? Uh, we down the wrong, wrong route. That was the wrong goal for us to choose. But it goes back to early in the conversation. I mentioned, like, everything's an experiment. Mm -hmm. So, again, you've got to come up with an idea, write it down, a lot of it's like writing it down, putting it on, you know, a single piece of paper and putting it in front of everyone and then bringing it up at every weekly meeting. Because mm. then, then the experiment is front and center in front of you. And, you know, maybe it was the wrong hypothesis. Maybe you did the wrong things to try the experiment. Um, who knows? Uh, the key is that you didn't lose sight of what it was you were trying to do and why. And then you course adjust. It's interesting because... So many people I've talked to, they've they've started doing that, but then they've stopped. And it goes back to what we were talking about is like Monday morning, they get inundated with fires and they don't bring up that piece of paper. They don't refer back to the plan. And they, people have to understand that if you're not setting up a plan and you're not following through the plan and, and you're not spending a ton of energy and awareness that that is the goal of your week or your day is to execute part of that plan. Why did you even bother starting it? And that is, hey, that's a great facilitator or, or a great coaching question, mm. right? Because something is getting in the way and it can be tons of different things. Uh, the point is to ask the question and be curious about it. Mm. And then action a solution. Yeah, well, I mean, I've worked with some entrepreneurs who they just never they're just wild and crazy and want to chase the next shiny ball mm -hmm. and that's the way that they are and you know after a while i can't work with them because <laughs> <laughs> yeah but i'm you know if that's if that's the way the only way they can be uh and i just let them know i mean that's the way you are and that's what's working for you and and you know you'll get the results that you want of chasing the next shiny ball mm -hmm. and and the key is, you know, uh, I, all I can do is help some self-awareness around that. And ultimately, the entrepreneur has to make a choice. Yeah, they have to be themselves at the end of the day. And, and I, definitely, if you have shiny ball syndrome, um, which is endemic in, in most parts of, of the business these days. I'm not certain I've met an entrepreneur, especially a really successful entrepreneur, that doesn't suffer from red shiny ball syndrome. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was, you know, I was talking with my, my brother who... who um, works with with code and stuff and and his frustration working with one group was that 
they wanted to use the newest platforms. Oh, we have to use this new platform because it's 2% faster and this and oh, it's so shiny and beautiful. And he was going, yeah, but as your code specialist, you're going to increase our workload by 60% and make it a non-profitable approach. And he's, no, I know, but, and they, they refused not to. And he ended up having to leave the company because it was just too frustrating and just such a waste of time. Yeah. You know, what happens if you keep coming up with a plan or you can't agree? You know, in this case, you had a leader who was saying what needed to happen and then the people underneath couldn't be convinced that was the way. Mm. Uh, and he made the right choice, which is uh, if he wasn't going to get support um, above and below, then eventually he needs to move on. I, I mean, programmers, since my degree is in computer science, I know a little about this. Um the cost of switching is phenomenal, mm. and that's the part that um, that people have a hard time understanding. The investment in infrastructure, the investment in process, um, the investment of getting teams to actually pull together to actually create a product out of software, um, those are actually way more important mm. than the tools that you're working with. And a small incremental improvement of one of those isn't going to really swing the needle uh, on what really on deliverables, uh, much if at all. Um, I wanted to ask you know for somebody who wants to, to pick up the book, they're in the bookstore. That what chapter should they go to first? Uh, just as a, a sampling, they don't have to read the introduction or anything. But what chapter do you think is is capturing the essence of the book? I actually might get them to start with the introduction. <laughs> <laughs> the book. Uh, shares deeply of my personal experiences, uh, sailing and otherwise. And the book starts with a real-life experience uh, in the Mediterranean Sea, or in the Adriatic Sea, I should say, uh, off the coast of Italy and Croatia, where uh, we had a thunderstorm that was uh, over 75 nautical miles wide uh, that was threatening uh, the boat I was on, which also happened to have my entire family. And uh, the way we tackled that was we actually did a maneuver that stopped the boat. And at that time, we were more than 10 hours from any safe port. Uh, and my son, who was 10 at the time, and myself sat there for an hour. And we watched the storm. And after an hour, we actually figured out which direction it was going. And, and if we'd continued on our original course, we would have sailed right into the middle of it. And to me, this is you know, one of the best examples I have of slowdown to speed up. And I think that that's the biggest challenge that most entrepreneurs have is that they're not prepared to take the discipline to step out of the business uh, and slow down so that they can actually make those choices, which will strategically let them speed up to where they want to go. Yeah, you know, that reminds me, uh, there was a, the book Good to Great, a classic, and uh, that was one of the, the entrepreneurs that was there. He was in a paper company, and, and the paper company was suffering. They were using millions of dollars a month or some huge number like that, and the guy actually spent months or maybe almost a year just not doing anything, just looking at what was going on and studying and interviewing everybody and finding out what the heck was going on. And uh, then he moved the company forward, and, and he did a massive fundamental change. It was a paper company, and what he did is he sold all the paper mills. <laughs> that was his decision. And it was, oh, you're nuts. And that company now specializes in tissues, and they make a heck of a lot more money because they cut out the actual manufacturing part. They, he realized that they were a brand and a product, and uh, we don't need to manufacture anymore. And I actually refer to Colin's book in my book mm. uh, and include it in uh, my additional reading section because I think that, that that's a classic story. 
of a fundamental, it wasn't like, let's make paper better faster. Mm -hmm. It was, what are we really good at? And what business should we be in? Mm -hmm. But that's a completely strategic question. And a tough one too. Phenomenally difficult uh, to, you know, absolutely change course massively and uh, to sell off what is the core of your business, uh, which, you know, the brilliance in that is that that wasn't in fact the core of your business. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you just didn't realize it yet. <laughs> but it took a year of stepping out of the business and really looking and understanding deeply. You know, and most entrepreneurs that I know, they, they like they saw something missing in the marketplace and they had an idea and they stepped into it and lo and behold, they managed to find someone to buy what it is that they made and they were successful. Um, and after a certain period of success, you know, and they attract employees and, and partners, um, that initial thing that they set out to do, while they may be really good at it, that may not be actually what they're really good at today mm. compared to where the market is today and where the market's going and, and what the business has potential for and and that's that that again is a uh, a tough place to be uh because it means really rethinking you know all those things that made you successful but my assertion is what made you successful and got you to where you are today uh in many cases isn't what's going to make you successful tomorrow yeah well that's that's the evolution of your business as you grow it as an entrepreneur is the ability to let go of your baby and say, okay, now we have to be a professional business and not a, an, a solopreneur business or, or like an entrepreneurial-only business. That and I think, you know, markets um, mm -hmm. are changing. I think in many markets are changing faster than they've perhaps changed ever before, uh, mm -hmm. largely due to uh, technology. It's kind of a two-part question. One is that uh, one of the big things right now that's happening with Apple as a corporation is they're changing what they're doing, and th their new strategy is not technology-driven but uh, fulfillment and, and the ability to, for people to buy products th through their devices. That's basically a new direction for them. But that's a huge, huge, huge company, and so we can look back and say, oh, okay, maybe that's what they're doing. Well, that's fascinating. I can't do that because I'm a, I'm a, I'm a small company. How does a small company or an, or, or an entrepreneurial uh, company look at these large organizations or, or read these books that are specific to large organizations and, and scale it down or, or, or take the, the gems and then be able to implement them? An interesting question and part of why I wrote my book mm. because I think a lot of the books that are targeted kind of at those – Examples or people who work for those kind of organizations, uh, I think, are very hard to scale to that mid-size operating company. And that I think it's one of the things that's missing are what are the ways of thinking about your business and operating and working together as teams uh, that are really successful in uh, these mid-size companies. Uh, you know, I look at uh, Providence Security, which is uh, featured as a case study in my book. So there are ten case studies in the book, one for each of the uh, major strategies, and uh, featuring you know an entrepreneur that's used uh, a big chunk of that strategy to uh, succeed in their business. You know, Providence Security, uh, Mike Jagger, the founder, he it's really interesting. He found a massive gap in the alarm industry in that most alarm companies in North America, when an alarm goes off. 
what happens is nothing. <laughs> yes, exactly. And he literally nothing. And you know, there's call centers in Texas that are monitoring alarms in Vancouver. And so, you know, Mike found a Provident Security on the measurable brown promise, brand promise of five minutes to your door after the alarm goes off, guaranteed. Hmm. And then he you know, that was the start of his business. And then the process where they actually could deliver on that brand promise has just taken extraordinary work because no other alarm company in the world does that. And he has built something completely unique uh, and something that the market, uh, that at least a certain part of the market really wants, which is something actually really happens when my alarm goes off. My belief is those, those stories in my book people are going to relate to way more than stories from Apple. I think the Apple stories can be inspirational, uh, but I think these stories that I've covered in the book are going to be both inspirational and practical. You're going to be able to look at how you know, an entrepreneur really changed an industry or changed their business and the practical things they did. Now, the actual tactical, what they did, may not apply to your business, but the way they thought about it and, you know, uh, the, the difficulties, the challenges that they were in front of them and how difficult these things were, and yet they took them on anyways because it was the right thing for their business. Well, yeah, and in the end of the day, that's what a book has to deliver. It has to, you know, you can read every book in the world, but if, if you can't relate to it or if you can't decode knowledge that the author's trying to get to you, it doesn't have a lot of value. So that's what makes this book so interesting is it's set up for um, – like you're saying, small to mid-sized entrepreneurial-style company that has the ability to change relatively quickly. And especially when it's the entrepreneur that's leading the change. And I go back to my brand promise, right? Mm -hmm. One hour is the book, three ideas, your business will accelerate in 90 days. And I, I just believe, I, I know, because I've worked with enough, enough entrepreneurs and I've had enough conversations with them and most of them, you know, after an hour with me, have three ideas. Now, now my question is, you know, that's all well and good. You have your three great ideas. Can they actually implement those ideas? Can they go back to the book again and again and get reinvigorated and get refocused and continue on? Absolutely. The person that I had content edit this book, their comment back to me, uh, this book is designed to read it, get some inspiration, put it on the shelf, get stuck, pull it off the shelf, read it, get new ideas, get newly reinvigorated, put it back on the shelf and just repeat that over and over. And I've included a comprehensive index to make that really easy for you. Now, for people that, you know, ha have read your book, want to know more, or people that are interested in learning a little bit more from you, uh, about you, uh, where should they go? Uh, they should go to my website, davidgreer.ca. Now, how often are you posting on that? The last year I haven't posted very often because I've been writing a book. <laughs> Uh, however, I'm taking part in a challenge from Seth Godin to uh, write a blog post every day for the next seven days, and I wrote one this morning. Win in your sales, vital strategies that accelerate your entrepreneurial growth. We've had David on the show today. Thanks for coming. Thanks, Bob. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that show, and do me a favor and tweet about it. Follow us on Facebook if you haven't done that already. We really appreciate it. See you next week.